0: with a dead cell phone think about those adventurous activities you can do like me taking a ski trip up with the family maybe going on a camping expedition anything and everything learn more about the all-new hyundai santa fe at hyundaiusa.com call 562-314-4603 for complete details hey there scary parish is monday may 16th 2022 welcome back to the CBS Sports Eye on College Basketball podcast where we sometimes discuss camel fighting Dodo birds and Leaky Black Cow Boone is here with me. If you're watching live on YouTube, please smash the like button like you're Brandon Davies. You you have consent and uh, if you follow the sport at all, you might know that nothing really too notable uh, in college basketball has happened in, in the past few days, but the NBA Draft Lottery is Tuesday night. With that in mind, I wanted to uh, connect with Strongjaw and start by asking him, Uh, A simple question. Here's the question. As it pertains to which player is going to get picked number one overall in the 2022 NBA draft, does it matter which franchise wins the lottery on Tuesday night? Because sometimes it does and sometimes it doesn't. Like in 2003, I don't think it would have mattered who was picking first. They were taking LeBron James. 2012, it would not have mattered who was picking first. They're taking... Anthony Davis 2015. I don't think it matters. Who's picking first, probably taking Carl Anthony towns, 2019 benefit of hindsight. Perhaps it should have mattered, but I don't think it mattered who won the lottery. They were taking Zion Williamson. So right now um, there seems to be at least three, maybe four players who you can find at the top of somebody's big board or mock drafts. Tell me, Strong Job, does it matter which team wins the lottery um, as it pertains to which player is going to be picked first?
1: Yeah, good morning, GP, and happy Monday. Uh, I I do believe it matters um, this year more so than most. We have, you know, really for several months now in this draft, there has been a clear top four in this draft, but to this point there has been no clear number one. We've got Chet Holmgren, Jabari Smith, Palo Caro, and Jaden Ivey, who I think in some order and maybe in that order will end up going number one in this draft. But, you know, I like Jaden Ivey, I think we'll end up going number four out of those four. I have him number one on the big board. And I've heard that there are teams or at least one team who has Jaden Ivey at number one on their big board. So I think it's going to matter who gets the number one pick if only because team fit more so than I think in recent years is going to dictate who ends up going number one in this draft. I have a mock draft coming out on Monday, kind of a prelude to the the draft lottery on Tuesday. And I wrote a little bit about this. And I know you mentioned it in your in your last mock draft as well. But uh, to me, it it does feel like over the next month, we may draw closer to a more definitive look at how this draft goes. And I do think that over the next 30 days or so, Chet Holmgren may end up emerging as, okay, we've been thinking about this class as a a clear top four, but no clear number one. Chet Holmgren, to me, I think of, of the four, has the most likely chance to emerge as the guy who is not maybe consensus, but pretty darn close to consensus. Number one pick he's seven foot tall. He's 195 pounds. He's an elite defensive prospect. And we saw even at Gonzaga last season, the flashes that he showed on offense, I think are going to translate. So if you are seven foot tall and, and you have guard skills in the way that Chet Holmgren has guard skills, like we, we don't really see players like that. Um, I think there's going to be concerns about maybe how he'll hold up physically. And we don't see players who were seven foot 195 pounds very often have long NBA careers. But I think we, and we both agree on this, the, the thinking that you have as, as a team picking at number one, you want to take the biggest swing and Chet Holmgren, I think to me represents the biggest swing. That's why I think we'll end up getting closer to Chet being considered. If not a lot close to a lot to go number one, but there is a clear top four in this draft. And I think at this point, you could kind of throw them in any order and it wouldn't totally surprise me. So that
0: clear top four is uh, Gonzaga's Chet Holmgren, Duke's Paolo Bencaro, Auburn's Jabari Smith, and Purdue's Jaden Ivy. And I, I agree with you. Uh, depending on the day, I could make the case for any of them being drafted ahead or below any of the other. I do think those four should be the top four although I would listen to arguments for Keegan Murray cracking into that just because I think he's got some stuff that is so easily translatable. Sometimes you watch prospects, and it's like, okay, how is that going to translate to the NBA? I don't have any questions about how a lot of the stuff Keegan Murray does is going to translate to the NBA. So I'd listen to arguments for him cracking the top four, but outside of that, I think those are pretty clearly the top four. I agree with you. Um, That seems like a high number uh, to to be considered for number one. Like, I remember – in the anthony edwards draft at the end of the day and i know they didn't go in this order one two but at the end of the day i think most people were either anthony edwards or lamello ball i don't think many people were interested in taking james wiseman number one i know he went in between them but at, at the end that was probably between anthony edwards and and lamello ball you could have a real debate about those guys they both look terrific so far um, even if you were redoing that draft you might go LaMelo one, Edwards two, but Anthony Edwards has been fabulous. Um, To be considering four is an unusually high number at number one. So let me ask you this. Is that because these are four awesome prospects or is it because there's no sure thing at the top of this, the way there seems to be um, normally?
1: I think it's because there's four really good, but maybe not great prospects. I think... um, you know, again, we could go back to, in, in a few years from now, I think we could say like, okay, Chet Holmgren should have easily been number one and he's an all-star. Clearly he was a star and a kind of an outlier in this class where we thought there was four guys. But to this point, it, it really does feel like this is a, a strong class, but maybe not as strong as, you know, going back to the, to the Zion and jaw draft or the LaMelo and Anthony Edwards draft. Like, I think, I think more more often or more likely this, this class is just going to be considered like really good at the top, but maybe no clear superstars at the top, which is is I think going to obviously make an impact on how the top four ends up shaking out. It, even in a few years, I wouldn't be surprised if like AJ Griffin, we're talking about him as maybe a guy who should have snuck in as, as someone in this elite top tier. Or even Shaden Sharp, who uh, was a former number one recruit in his own class is, is uh, He played zero minutes at Kentucky last season, has already declared and has left the door open to potentially returning to Kentucky, although I don't think anyone expects that he will. Um, there's, there's a lot of potential home run swings at the top. like If you're a, a team picking in the top four, top five, I think you have to be really excited about the potential of all of these guys. But I, I'm not entirely sure that there's a sure thing at the top of this draft and certainly not multiple sure things, at least from a confidence standpoint, I'd be really excited about getting some of these top four, top five guys. Uh, but definitely I think the top of this draft is a little bit weaker than, than what we've seen in, in previous years.
0: Right. I could see any of them developing into stars. I wouldn't bet my 401k that any one of them develops into uh, a, a, an undeniable star. My latest, mod draft has Chet Holmgren at the top. And you, you'll like, like you said, you like Jaden Ivey at the top. It's totally reasonable. Um, Paolo at the top, reasonable. Jabari Smith at the top, reasonable. Um, the reason I went with Holmgren, and I'm I'm not comparing these players at all because they're nothing at like, I'm just comparing this this very speci- specific point. Chet Holmgren literally did unprecedented things in college basketball this year, like you, you would have every t- two weeks, it felt like. Um, you could go to ESPN stats and info and it'd be like, and Chet Holmgren became the first player to ever do boom, 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 boom. Chet Holmgren just became the first player in 25 years to do boom, 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 boom. The only two players in the past 40 years to do this thing are Chet Holmgren and so-and-so. Uh, Chet Holmgren just became the first player, first freshman to do this thing since this thing started being recording recorded as an official stat in 1967. What a, there's like a – every – few weeks there was one of those things he was doing things that people his age had either rarely done in college basketball or never done in college basketball and what that reminds me of is when Luka Doncic was playing in Europe and it was like no European player his age has ever done this 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 and this no European player his age has ever done this 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 and that and it was just a lot of unprecedented undeniable stuff A lot of people had played at his age in this league and they had never done the things he was doing. And yet when people watched him, they had questions Mm -hmm. and the questions were about his body, about his athleticism, about his quickness, you know, what's he going to, you know, okay, sure. He's dominating these guys at this age. And that's awesome. But you know, what's what's going to happen when he's playing against NBA athletes? What's going to happen when he's playing, when he's being guarded by 6'6 six, six NBA level athletes with long wingspans and incredible feet? Well, you've been watching? <laughs> Let me tell you what happens. He cooks them over and over again. Basically, since the moment he's been in the NBA, he's been doing all of the things that he was able to do in europe he just just moved to a different continent and started cooking guys the same way he was cooking guys over there and if it's possible to learn something from previous drafts and i hope that it is it's that from that one folks got so caught up on what they imagined he might not be able to do and stopped focusing as much as they should have been focusing on the things he was so clearly doing. Yeah. And I, I think there's some of that going on with Chet Hongman. He's thin. I got it. I don't know that he'll ever be um, a bodybuilder. I don't know that he'll ever win a weightlifting competition. Um, I, I don't know that you'll ever look at him and say he's anything other than a skinny guy. Um, but he does so many things. At an elite level, um, you know he's an incredibly unique prospect, and I, I'm wondering—not guaranteeing, just wondering—if people have questions about his body and his uh, strength and how all that's going to work at the next level. Because you hear this all the time: How is he going to guard Joel Embiid? Mm. Which, by the way, always drives me crazy with prospects. Let me a little aside, real quick. You know, for years, you know, you'd be looking at. You know, two guard prospects, and somebody would say, "Okay, but like, how's he going to guard Kobe? Well, he's not going to guard Kobe. Nobody guards Kobe. Kobe, Kobe probably put thirty-five on him, right? And it's like, how's it, how's Chet Holman ever going to guard Joel Embiid? How does anybody guard Joel Embiid? They don't. You don't. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So I get it, but I think sometimes taking prospects and then asking the question, how are they going to guard this person who plays the same position? Who is, like, the best in the world at that position. Like, they're not going to guard. Them. Like, when James Harden was in his prime, which seems like something in the past now. How's, yeah, but how's he going to guard James Harden? I, he probably won't. He'll probably guard him the same way everybody else does. And I know there's a difference between um, guys who can't jam- guard James Harden in his prime or Joel Embiid right now and uh, or Kobe in his prime and, like, bad defenders. Like, I got that. But I, I don't get caught up on that too much. Like if he goes to the West, he'll play Joel Embiid twice a year. It'll be fine. Um, like I just wonder if people get so caught up on the body that they, they don't pay close enough attention to the other stuff. And he, then he gets into the NBA as the second pick or the third pick. And I don't really think it goes any lower than that. But, um, and but the, the people who question about him, they go, Oh geez, he's doing all the stuff that I've watched him do in high school. He's doing all the stuff that I watched him do in college. Why did I not think he would be able to do all of this stuff in the NBA? Again, not guaranteeing that, because I have questions about all these guys. But the reason I would lean toward him is because I'm more interested in focusing on the unbelievable stuff he does than I am focusing on his, yeah, sure, slight frame.
1: Yeah, and I I think that's the right way to approach at least scouting with Chet, because there are some definite questions. I I love the comparison with Lucas, because – I think we both had him number one on our boards going into that draft. And I feel like there were more legitimate questions about Luca than there are with, with Chet. I, I was real concerned about, okay, what he's doing in Europe is fantastic, but can the, can the speed translate? Is he able to get like a quick first step? And those concerns with Luca, I think were pretty real. Um, turns out they didn't matter, obviously. Right. But with Chet, I am I'm more confident that some of the skills that he has is going to translate. Like, is he gonna be able to guard Giannis? No, but probably no one's gonna be able to guard Giannis, right. right? Like, so yeah, there's I mean, against bigger bigs in the NBA, I I would imagine the physicality is going to be challenging for him. But in terms of his competitive nature, what we've seen from him at the college level, you can't you can't really muscle and push around Chet Holmes. Like he had some games where he struggled against physicality, but I don't think it's a theme. Like, I don't think that's going to be a problem for the rest of his career. And what we saw from him throughout the entire season with, with Gonzaga was an elite shot blocker, a guy who, if there was a stat recording shots altered around the rim or just straight up scaring dudes around the paint, he would have probably led, led the statistical category in that. So uh, that is absolutely going to translate. I feel very, very confident in that. And, and then if you get anything else on offense from him outside of just being a lob threat, a guy who can shoot above the break threes or even create a little bit, then I think it's all gravy. So uh, you're talking about maybe the difference between a really good starter and, and maybe an all-star. But if you're picking number one, like so long as he's healthy, and obviously that's a question for anyone in the draft, so long as they can stay healthy, then there's really not a bad option. And I, I think the, that's kind of the, the qualm, the, the argument with Chet is, what are you getting? Like, I feel pretty confident Chet is going to be a very competent, if not star NBA player.
0: Do you agree? If Chet hongman has got the highest ceiling, and I think we're on the same page there, Paulo Bencaro is the safest of the pick. Would you agree with Like that? There's just no way he's not a really good NBA player for a long time. Again, if he stays healthy, um, you can question what his ceiling is, I guess. But I can't imagine Paolo Bencaro being anything other than a really good, at worst, a really good NBA player.
1: Yeah, of, of the four, he's clearly, I think, the most polished. I always That's the word I always throw around with Paolo because – He's a guy who I think you could plug in right away. And he's putting up 20, 20 points per game on an NBA team. Just his, his offensive polish, the way he's able to not only create his own shot in the mid range, but like he grew up as a guard, like he has some real passing and some playmaking that we saw quite a bit at Duke. Like he was clearly, I think Duke's best passer at six foot 10. Like that is a rare skill to have. And on offense in in this NBA, I think that's super valuable. So, I feel the most confident that he's going to be a very productive NBA player. I'm not as confident that he would be like the superstar of the bunch, but definitely I think one of the safest guys clearly why he's probably going to go in the top three. And, um, I, w- I would probably make a small case for Jaden Ivy. If, if we're talking in terms of like total ceiling, Chet and Jaden Ivy, I think are to me on that same plane. Um, but, in terms of safeness and how, how they project to the NBA level, Palo, I would agree with you has, has the most polish of, of this of these top prospects.
0: How concerning, if at all? again, talking about the, the the top shelf prospects in the 2022 NBA draft, how concerning, if at all, is it that, though Jabari Smith was awesome and I believe is in the betting markets the favorite to be the number one overall pick in the in the draft. Yep. How concerning is it that for the most part, in his one year of college, they couldn't just throw it to him and tell him to go take over games and make plays. Like they really didn't do that too much. It was the guards who were trying to win games at the end. You would think, you know, in a vacuum, if you've got the probable number one overall pick, you could just give him the ball and say, "Hey, go take over this thing." But he really wasn't equipped to do that in his one year of college. Does that does that
1: bother you? That does not personally bother me. Uh, I'm more bothered by what he did against Miami in the NCAA tournament where he had 10 points um, played 35 minutes and was really, really ineffective. He was three of 16 shooting in that game for a guy who, you know, his, his kind of calling card at six foot 10 is becoming an elite shooter at the NBA level. Like if Miami's defense is going to do that to you, like, yes, it's a one-off, but that was a, a huge stakes game in the NCAA tournament. Uh, Auburn needed him to step up and, and make shots and he was not able to deliver Walker Kessler also really struggled in that game um, in terms of creating like that's that's just not Jabari Smith's game he's, he's not going to be the guy who's going to go out and and create shots for you when when the game is on the line that is that is not what he did in college Bruce Pearl never really asked him to do that at Auburn I don't think that's gonna be his role in the NBA but in the NBA he's, I think he's gonna be a really good defender he's got great size He's an excellent shooter, and when you're a dead-eye three-point shooter at six foot ten, that is a mismatch nightmare. You're always going to be able to have a role in an NBA, and uh, at the power forward spot, like the, I think that's that is his case for why he should clearly be considered as as one of the top guys in this draft. For some of those reasons, among them being that I don't think he's a creator, I would I would not take him with my top pick. Uh, but the betting markets, as you said, they, they have him as the projected number one pick. This is pre-lottery, obviously, and we'll see how this unfolds. Um, but, yeah, I, I think that is that is very, very very interesting that that um, given some of the holes in his game and the fact that he is not a creator, he is still the favorite. I, I think what we saw from Jabari Smith as a freshman at Auburn this season, he was able to develop, and I think in terms of some of these top guys – he showed the most promise developmentally of any of the players that I saw. Um, he went from like, a, oh, wow, this guy's like a lottery pick to, oh, wow, this could be the number one pick in the draft. We saw some some playmaking that he was able to create his own shot off the dribble, um, some passing skills. Like, again, he's not going to be a primary creator. I don't even think he's going to be a secondary initiator in the NBA But if you can add even a little bit of playmaking, a little bit of shot making on top of what he already brings to the table, um, then yeah, we're talking about a guy who's going to go top five in the draft.
0: So people who um, don't follow it too closely might not realize, you know, which franchises are actually, um, I don't want to say the favorites, because nobody, that's the thing that gets lost. People say, you know, Houston's the favorite to get the overall first over. No, they're not. Like they have a 14% chance. Nobody's the favorite. Um, There are teams that have a better, uh, uh, chances than others, or more chances than others, but nobody's the favorite. Even if you are Houston, Orlando, Detroit, which have each have a fourteen percent chance to get the number one overall pick, um, you you know, it means you've got uh, what eighty six percent chance to not get the number one pick. Yep. So nobody nobody's the favorite, but Houston, Orlando, Detroit each have um, a fourteen percent chance, followed by Oklahoma City at twelve and a half percent, then Indiana ten and a half percent. Portland, 9%, Sacramento, 7.5%. And again, the NBA draft lottery is Tuesday night, and I will be updating my mock draft just as soon as I can get to it um, following uh, the announcement of how the ping pong balls landed. So the Iowa State Bonnies are taking shape in Ames. TJ Osselberger has added two St. Bonaventure players from the transfer portal. We're going to get into that next, but first, a word from our sponsors. Visit roberthalf.com today. So the Iowa State Bonnies coming to Ames, Iowa. Uh, T.J. Ausberger has added a couple of St. Bonaventure players um, via the transfer portal. Jaron Holmes, a shooting guard who averaged 13.5 points, five rebounds, 3.6 assists this past season. He's headed to Iowa State. And Oshun, Oshunier, who is a two-time Atlantic 10 Defensive Player of the Year. Really good player. 11.3 points, 7.5 rebounds, 2.9 blocks per game this past season. Both have committed to Iowa State. So this is interesting. Um, Iowa State fans, some, were really upset. They thought it was the end of college basketball as we know it, a few weeks back when Tyrese Hunter entered the transfer portal. And one of the we talked about it here on the podcast, one of the things I tried to explain is that uh, this is just going to be the way it is with the one time transfer waiver. And you're going to lose some to, um, to, to, you know, that you want to keep and you're going to get some that other people wanted to keep or you're going to you're going to it'll all work itself out. You might lose your best player or best returning player to um, a situation that that player deems better or preferable. Um, but you're going to be able to pull from other places. Um, and and if, if we want to start uh, creating tiers of college basketball, perhaps there's the blue blood tier. And then there's like the uh, other power conference schools tier. So we'll throw Iowa state in there. And then there's everything below it, which with all due respect might be the St. Bonaventure tier uh, Mark Smith, incredible job there, but like, you know, it's a, it's a hard job. It, it's a difficult job. And I'm, league outside of the traditional power structure so iowa state loses a player i'm sure it wanted to keep on some level to the transfer portal but um as predicted tj osberger is doing just fine uh reloading and this is just going to be the way the sport works and um you know I, I i bet you even the iowa state fans who thought the transfer portal and the one-time transfer waiver were the worst thing in the history of college athletics a few weeks ago I bet they're not feeling so bad about it right now.
1: Yeah, they've got to be feeling pretty good. This is uh, Oshunier is a huge addition. Uh, Jaron Holmes, I think, is going to be a, a difference maker. He's a, he's a fantastic shot maker, but Oshunier to me fits a fits a need for Iowa State. Six foot ten, I think, one of the best shot blockers in all of college basketball, and average two point nine blocks per game each of the last two seasons. Two time a ten defensive player of the year. He was top 15 last season in block rate at 12.1%. Just for reference, Chet Holmgren, who we've been talking about as a potential number one pick, was 12.6% in block rate last season. So that ranked 10th in the country. So, in terms of what he's going to bring to the table for Iowa State, he brings shot blocking. That's really what Iowa State lacked last season. And guess what? Iowa State was really good on defense last season, despite not having that. They were top five, according to Ken Palm's efficiency metrics. So adding him, I think, is is going to be a huge difference. Obviously, Iowa State set to lose Tyrese Hunter, going to lose Isaiah Brockington, but they're bringing in Oshunye, uh Jaron Holmes. They're also adding a transfer from Temple and, and Jeremiah Williams and, and VCU forward Hassan Ward. They're also enrolling three top 200 high school recruits, and Gabe Kausher is, is expected to come back. So,
0: And Trey, that, Trey King uh, as well. He yep. transferred from Georgetown. I think during the season and he'll be eligible. So right. it'll, it'll be a, a, a new cast of characters, but this is, I, I think Iowa state is it's the main reason I wanted to bring this up. It's, this is not about Iowa state. It's just that the Iowa state situation, the way this offseason season has unfolded is a pretty good reflection of the state of college basketball. Like you're going to, you're going to lose a, a player that you probably wanted to keep. And then it's your job as a basketball coach to go out and and try to replace those players um, by by getting guys that I'm sure other schools wanted to keep and you know and, and and TJ has done a really good job at that like given what he did after getting the Iowa State job last offseason how quickly he used the transfer portal to take Iowa State from a two-win program to an NCAA tournament program um, that that should have um, suggested to everybody, like this guy is going to be able to operate in the space and do, he'll be just fine. Um, and, you know, so this shouldn't be a surprise, but still, I just think the roller coaster ride Iowa State fans have been on this offseason is a pretty good reflection of what it's going to be like for a lot of basketball programs. There's going to be a day where you curse the transfer portal because you just lost somebody you wanted to keep. And then there's going to be another day where you're like, woohoo, I love this transfer portal. We just got a two time ATN defensive player of the year.
1: Yeah, no, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. And this is this is kind of reflective of the college basketball landscape writ large right now where you're going to lose players, um, but programs are adding from the transfer portal at such a rate now that you can lose players, you can lose stars, and you can still get back really quality players. Like Iowa State, they may take a slight step back losing Tyrese Hunter, but... Um, it, but I I do think they're they're going to be able to re- replace at least some of this production, and the talent that they're it, they're adding elsewhere on top of who they're bringing back, maybe they don't take a step back next year. Well, let I me mean, let me is... ask you,
0: let, let me ask you this. Yeah. Hand A, I give you Tyrese Hunter. Hand B, I give you Jaron Holmes and Oshuna Shunye. Which hand do you want? Is it clear? What you got
1: in your feet? What you got in your feet?
0: I can't show you my feet. <laughs> <laughs> that'd get, that'd get too weird. That would get too Aaron,
1: weird. Aaron Rodgers. Um, yeah, shoot. I think I'd rather have Tyree center, but yeah, I'm, prob- I'm sorry, probably,
0: but yeah. like, yeah, yeah, probably, but it's not like obvious. I'm just saying, no, like, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like, you know, uh, you, 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 probably got two players, neither of whom are as gifted as Tyree center, but you got two really good players. Um, you know, that have come in since, uh, since you lost Tyree center. And, yep. and you're fine. You're fine. I, yeah. I don't know where Iowa state will be, you know, at this point in the season or year, I sort of look at top 25 and one candidates and I don't really look much past that right now. So every once in a while, you end up in a situation and somebody will be like, uh, so how do you think Penn state's going to do? Well, I, I've got to take a closer look at that. Uh, cause I like they're You're either on my top 25 and one radar or you're, you're, I, I'll you're, you're not on my radar. And so I don't have Iowa State as a top 25-1 and one contender. But you start looking at, at how the roster's taking shape, and they've, they've got some good pieces. And I won't be surprised if, if TJ's got them in a position to maybe go to back-to-back NCAA tournaments.
1: Yeah. The Big 12 should be slightly up for grabs next season. I, I think Baylor's probably the front-runner. KU's right there. Baylor, Rainier. Kansas. Yeah. Um, Texas. I think both will be. TCU might be in the t- mix, t- given yes, how, they, t- how they finish the season. Um oh, she-
0: Oh, sure. Like in the top 25 and one right now,
1: yeah. I've got
0: Baylor at seven, Kansas mm-hmm. at eight. So I guess that suggests I would make Baylor the very slight favorite. I've got TCU at 14, Texas at 16. So that's four big 12 teams in the top 16. And then I've got, <laughs> I still get caught on these every once in a while. I I almost was going to throw Texas A&M in there. That's an SEC school. <laughs> Um, so that's it. I've got four Big 12 teams in the top 25 and one, and yep. they are Baylor, Kansas, TCU, and Texas. I guess Texas Tech is right there, you know, just on the outside somewhere. Yeah. You could I reasonably right. have Texas Tech in there. But yeah, the league probably up for grabs, although it's always weird to call the Big 12 up for grabs, given that Kansas <laughs> wins it like, you know, just about every single year. Um, yep. But. Yeah, you know Baylor, Kansas, TCU, Texas. I guess I could see any of those four winning the league.
1: And you have Kansas bringing back projected Jalen Will, Jalen Wilson probably coming back, right? And Christian have, Brown may be gone.
0: That's right. I have Christian okay. Brown gone. I have Jalen Wilson back. And, you yep. know, Jalen Wilson. I don't think got an invite to the combine. Right. That's a like. I'm all for anybody going through the process, but if they tell you we don't want you to come to the combine, that's a pretty good indication there's probably not a place for you in this NBA draft, unless you were just dead tired of school and ready to be done with it. uh, You might be wise to go back, particularly to a place like Kansas where name, image and likeness rights are um, I'm assuming are going to be available to you.
1: Yeah. Especially just coming off the the national championship. I think uh, Matt Norlander wrote a piece about that here recently. Pretty interesting. I think there's going to be a lot of opportunities for those players. And uh, especially for Christian Brown, like, I think we've talked about this before, but that's a real interesting decision. Fringe, first-rounder, does he stay? Does he go? I think he can make some real money if he comes back to Kansas. But if you're a first-rounder, do you pass that up? Um, all those guys have, have pretty tough decisions. Either way, I think Kansas can be in a good spot next season.
0: All right. Let's get out of here. But not before, am I right? PGA Championship's coming to you this week, huh?
1: Got my PGA shirt on.
0: Look at you. We didn't plan that.
1: That's right. Huge week for Tulsa and Southern Hills. I will be, I could I see Kyle Porter this week for the first time in like two years. Kyle Porter, a part-time mainstay on this podcast. Um, very excited about it. Huge uh, huge week for Tulsa. Huge week for Coney Island. A lot of, uh, of uh, out-of-town out visitors, so very excited to see a lot of people that I don't normally see.
0: So are you going as a fan or actually going to write from the tournament?
1: I'm gonna be riding from the tournament, so this should be an interesting week because we've got the the draft lottery on Tuesday, the combine, the rest of the week. I'll be doing a little bit of both, but um, yeah, I'll be I'll be at the PGA Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Yeah, all those days. Saturday, I'm going as a fan all with right. my dad. Um, the other days, I'll be I'll be riding, so I get to see Tiger in person, which will be pretty exciting and uh yeah should be i'm i'm super pumped this should be a fantastic week
0: i love major major golf i it's love different. Major, yeah i i love it like i can't i can't get enough of it and so um it's cool when big sporting events because like tulsa is um it's a beautiful town but it's like you know it's not new york la so when you know this when the sports world like sort of and i know we're in the middle of the nba playoffs but like you know a big massive sports events come to Tulsa, like it it you know, it, it registers differently than if, um, you know, the major championship was in L.A. Like the U.S. Open, I think, is at L.A. Country Club next year. Well, like that'll mm-hmm. just be a, a, the a, on a list of a million awesome big things that are in Los Angeles. But like yeah. Tulsa doesn't get this kind of stuff all the time. So it must be a, a huge week for the city.
1: Yeah, it's huge. It's huge. And they I think there's a marathon going on the same week as well. So it's it's a huge week for Tulsa. I talked to the to the Southern Hills uh, PGA director out there, and they had they had Tiger obviously come out and fly out for his for his practice round just a couple weeks ago, and uh, kind of asked him how that was, and he's like, and it's just like Tiger Tiger Buzz hits different, and so they I think they've all been kind of crossing their fingers that he would show up and play. Looks like he's gonna play. Obviously, Phil has already withdrawn the, the reigning PGA champion, but. Uh, yeah, this this uh, the buzz is uh, beginning to build. It's it's feeling very real. I'm very excited about this for
0: sure. Awesome. Well, have a good time out there. I look forward yep. to reading your work. Shouts to yep. Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Huck, Larnell. Thank you guys once again for listening to Ion College Basketball Podcast. If you're not subscribed, please go subscribe anywhere you subscribe to podcasts, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Five stars. Nice review. There's more of us than there are of them. If you haven't subscribed to the YouTube channel yet, please knock that out. Just go into the search engine, type I on college basketball. It'll pop right up. Subscribe, hit the bell button so you get alerts when a new video drops. I thank you in advance, and I'll talk to you again a little later on this week. Until then, take care.